0: The Law School of America. Defenses. Vitiating factors constituting defenses to purported contract formation include mistake, such as non est factum, incapacity, including mental incompetence and in infancy slash minority, duress, undue influence, unconscionability, misrepresentation or fraud, frustration of purpose. Such defenses operate to determine whether a purported contract is either 1. void or 2. voidable. Void contracts cannot be ratified by either party. Voidable contracts can be ratified. Misrepresentation. Misrepresentation means a false statement of fact made by one party to another party and has the effect of inducing that party into the contract. For example, under certain circumstances, false statements or promises made by a seller of goods regarding the quality or nature of the product that the seller has may constitute misrepresentation. A finding of misrepresentation allows for a remedy of rescission and sometimes damages depending on the type of misrepresentation. In a court of law, to prove misrepresentation and or fraud, there must be evidence that shows a claim was made, said claim was false, the party making the claim knew the claim was false, and that party's intention was for a transaction to occur based upon the false claim. There are two types of misrepresentation, fraud in the factum and fraud in inducement. Fraud in the factum focuses on whether the party alleging misrepresentation knew they were creating a contract. If the party did not know that they were entering into a contract, there is no meeting of the minds, and the contract is void. Fraud in inducement focuses on misrepresentation attempting to get the party to enter into the contract. Misrepresentation of a material fact, if the party knew the truth, that party would not have entered into the contract, makes a contract voidable. Assume two people, party A and party B, enter into a contract. Then, it is later determined that party A did not fully understand the facts and information described within the contract. If party B used this lack of understanding against party A to enter into the contract, party A has the right to void the contract. The foundational principle of caveat emptor, which means let the buyer beware, applies to all American transactions. In Laidlaw the Supreme Court decided that the buyer did not have to inform the seller of information the buyer knew could affect the price of the product. According to Gordon V. Selico it is possible to misrepresent either by words or conduct. Generally, statements of opinion or intention are not statements of fact in the context of misrepresentation. If one party claims specialist knowledge on the topic discussed, then it is more likely for the courts to hold a statement of opinion by that party as a statement of fact. It is a fallacy that an opinion cannot be a statement of fact. If a statement is the honest expression of an opinion honestly entertained, it cannot be said that it involves any fraudulent misrepresentations of fact. For an innocent misrepresentation, the judge takes into account the likelihood a party would rely on the false claim and how significant the false claim was. Remedies for Misrepresentation Rescission is the principal remedy, and damages are also available if a tort is established. In order to obtain relief, there must be a positive misrepresentation of law and also, the person to whom the representation was made must have been misled by and relied on this misrepresentation, Public Trustee V. Taylor. Contract law does not delineate any clear boundary as to what is considered an acceptable false claim or what is unacceptable. Therefore, the question is what types of false claims or deceptions will be significant enough to void a contract based on said deception. Advertisements utilizing puffing, or the practice of exaggerating certain things fall under this question of possible false claims mistake a mistake is an incorrect understanding by one or more parties to a contract and may be used as grounds to invalidate the agreement common law has identified three types of mistake in contract common mistake mutual mistake and unilateral mistake common mistake occurs when both parties hold the same mistaken belief of the facts this is demonstrated in the case of Bell v. Lever Brothers Limited, which established that common mistake can only void a contract if the mistake of the subject matter was sufficiently fundamental to render its identity different from what was contracted, making the performance of the contract impossible. In Great Peace Shipping Limited v. Zavliris Salvage, International Limited, the court held that the common law will grant relief against common mistakes, if the test in Bell v. Lever Brothers Ltd. is made out. If one party has knowledge and the other does not, and the party with the knowledge promises or guarantees the existence of the subject matter, that party will be in breach if the subject matter does not exist. Mutual mistake occurs when both parties of a contract are mistaken as to the terms. Each believes they are contracting to something different. Courts usually try to uphold such mistakes if a reasonable interpretation of the terms can be found. However, a contract based on a mutual mistake in judgment does not cause the contract to be voidable by the party that is adversely affected. See Raffles v. Wichelhaus. Unilateral mistake occurs when only one party to a contract is mistaken as to the terms or subject matter. The courts will uphold such a contract unless it was determined that the non-mistaken party was aware of the mistake and tried to take advantage of the mistake. It is also possible for a contract to be void if there was a mistake in the identity of the contracting party. An example is in Lewis v. Avery where Lord Denning Mr. held that the contract can only be voided if the plaintiff can show that, at the time of agreement, the plaintiff believed the other party's identity was of vital importance. A mere mistaken belief as to the credibility of the other party is not sufficient. Duress and Undue Influence Duress has been defined as a threat of harm made to compel a person to do something against his or her will or judgment, especially a wrongful threat made by one person to compel a manifestation of seeming assent by another person to a transaction without real volition. An example is in Barton v. Armstrong in which a person was threatened with death if they did not sign the contract. An innocent party wishing to set aside a contract for duress to the person only needs to prove that the threat was made and that it was a reason for entry into the contract, the burden of proof then shifts to the other party to prove that the threat had no effect in causing the party to enter into the contract. There can also be duress to goods and sometimes, economic duress. Undue influence is an equitable doctrine that involves one person taking advantage of a position of power over another person through a special relationship such as between parent and child or solicitor and client. As an equitable doctrine, the court has discretion. When no special relationship exists, the question is whether there was a relationship of such trust and confidence that it should give rise to such a presumption. Unconscionable Dealing In Australian law, a contract can be set aside due to unconscionable dealing. Firstly, the claimant must show that they were under a special disability, the test for this being that they were unable to act in their best interest. Secondly, the claimant must show that the defendant took advantage of this special disability. Illegal contracts. If based on an illegal purpose or contrary to public policy, a contract is void. In the 1996 Canadian case of Royal Bank of Canada v. Newell a woman forged her husband's signature, and her husband agreed to assume all liability and responsibility for the forged checks. However, the agreement was unenforceable as it was intended to stifle a criminal prosecution, and the bank was forced to return the payments made by the husband. In the U.S., one unusual type of unenforceable contract is a personal employment contract to work as a spy or secret agent. This is because the very secrecy of the contract is a condition of the contract, in order to maintain plausible deniability. If the spy subsequently sues the government on the contract over issues like salary or benefits, then the spy has breached the contract by revealing its existence. It is thus unenforceable on that ground, as well as the public policy of maintaining national security, since a disgruntled agent might try to reveal all the government's secrets during his slash or lawsuit. Other types of unenforceable employment contracts include contracts agreeing to work for less than minimum wage and forfeiting the right to workman's compensation in cases where workmen's compensation is due. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Remedies for defendants on defenses. Setting aside the contract. To rescind is to set aside or unmake a contract. There are four different ways in which contracts can be set aside. A contract may be deemed void, voidable or unenforceable, or declared ineffective voidness implies that a contract never came into existence voidability implies that one or both parties may declare a contract ineffective at their wish kill fees are paid by magazine publishers to authors when their articles are submitted on time but are subsequently not used for publication when this occurs the magazine cannot claim copyright for the killed assignment unenforceability implies that neither party may have recourse to a court for a remedy Ineffectiveness arises when a contract is terminated by order of a court, where a public body has failed to satisfy the requirements of public procurement law. This remedy was created by the Public Contracts, Amendments, Regulations 2009. Disputes. Procedure. In many countries, in order to obtain damages for breach of contract or to obtain specific performance or other equitable relief, the aggrieved injured party may file a civil, non criminal, lawsuit in court. In England and Wales, a contract may be enforced by use of a claim, or in urgent cases by applying for an interim injunction to prevent a breach. Likewise, in the United States, an aggrieved party may apply for injunctive relief to prevent a threatened breach of contract, where such breach would result in irreparable harm that could not be adequately remedied by money damages. Arbitration. If the contract contains a valid arbitration clause then, prior to filing a lawsuit, the aggrieved party must submit an arbitration claim in accordance with the procedures set forth in the clause. Many contracts provide that all disputes arising thereunder will be resolved by arbitration, rather than litigated in courts. Arbitration judgments may generally be enforced in the same manner as ordinary court judgments, and are recognized and enforceable internationally under the New York Convention, which has 156 parties. However, in New York Convention states, Arbitral decisions are generally immune unless there is a showing that the arbitrator's decision was irrational or tainted by fraud. Some arbitration clauses are not enforceable, and in other cases arbitration may not be sufficient to resolve a legal dispute. For example, disputes regarding validity of registered IP rights may need to be resolved by a public body within the national registration system. For matters of significant public interest that go beyond the narrow interests of the parties to the agreement, Such as claims that a party violated a contract by engaging in illegal anti competitive conduct or committed civil rights violations, a court might find that the parties may litigate some or all of their claims even before completing a contractually agreed arbitration process. United States In the United States, 35 states, notably not including New York, and the District of Columbia have adopted the Uniform Arbitration Act to facilitate the enforcement of arbitration judgments. Customer claims against securities brokers and dealers are almost always resolved pursuant to contractual arbitration clauses because securities dealers are required under the terms of their membership in self-regulatory organizations such as the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, formerly the NAST, or NYSE to arbitrate disputes with their customers. The firms then began including arbitration agreements in their customer agreements, requiring their customers to arbitrate disputes. Choice of Law When a contract dispute arises between parties that are in different jurisdictions, law that is applicable to a contract is dependent on the conflict of laws analysis by the court where the breach of contract action is filed. In the absence of a choice of law clause, the court will normally apply either the law of the forum or the law of the jurisdiction that has the strongest connection to the subject matter of the contract. A choice of law clause allows the parties to agree in advance that their contract will be interpreted under the laws of a specific jurisdiction. Within the United States, choice-of-law clauses are generally enforceable, although exceptions based upon public policy may at times apply. Within the European Union, even when the parties have negotiated a choice-of-law clause, conflict-of-law issues may be governed by the Rome I regulation. Choice of Forum Many contracts contain a forum selection clause setting out where disputes in relation to the contract should be litigated. The clause may be general, requiring that any case arising from the contract be filed within a specific state or country, or it may require that a case be filed in a specific court. For example, a choice of forum clause may require that a case be filed in the U.S. state of California, or it may require more specifically that the case be filed in the Superior Court for Los Angeles County. A choice of law or venue is not necessarily binding upon a court. Based upon an analysis of the laws, Rules of procedure and public policy of the state and court in which the case was filed, a court that is identified by the clause may find that it should not exercise jurisdiction, or a court in a different jurisdiction or venue may find that the litigation may proceed despite the clause. As part of that analysis, a court may examine whether the clause conforms with the formal requirements of the jurisdiction in which the case was filed. In some jurisdictions a choice of forum or choice of venue clause only limits the parties if the word exclusive is explicitly included in the clause. Some jurisdictions will not accept an action that has no connection to the court that was chosen, and others will not enforce a choice of venue clause when they consider themselves to be a more convenient forum for the litigation. Some contracts are governed by multilateral instruments that require a non-chosen court to dismiss cases and require the recognition of judgments made by courts having jurisdiction based on a choice of court clause. For example, the Brussels regime instruments, 31 European states, and the Hague choice of court agreements convention, European Union, Mexico, Montenegro, Singapore, as well as several instruments related to a specific area of law may require courts to enforce and recognize choice of law clauses and foreign judgments. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America